but just that that false dichotomy between the financial, the business decisions, and the pastoral, spiritual decisions. Mm-hmm. That's a wall that we really continue to try and work to break down because we think that there should not be a distinction mm. between the two. That the best financial and business decisions are going to be made in light of what our church teaches and what believes, and the best pastoral and spiritual decisions will be informed by the practical implications of that. Mm. And so really trying to, to bridge those two, <laughs> we, we think is is a key contribution to make. Um, and and I, I don't know I don't know where that wall first got built, but I don't think it serves I don't think it serves the church at all. Welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast, helping leaders be a positive catalyst on the people they support, the organizations they serve, and the communities they live. This podcast will make you think, laugh, and grit your teeth with new determination to make your parish or business a place of transformation, passion, and purpose. If you're still breathing, you are power for impact. Hello and welcome to the Ron Huntley Leadership Podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you're here for the first time, I think you're going to have a lot of fun. Today, we're going to be talking about the role that business and, and formation plays in the Catholic Church and Catholic leaders. And our guest today is Professor Matt Mannion. He's a professor of practice in the management department, and he's the faculty director for the Center of Church Management at Villanova School of Business. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thank you so much, Ron. Great to be here with you. We had a wonderful conversation not all that long ago about the opportunity uh, and how you're enjoying this whole concept of of business and and in the Catholic context, forming the next generation of business people at the school. Tell, tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, so I've been at Villanova since 2017 um, and came here after stints. I had a stint in the for-profit world for kind of the first chapter of my career. And then had a stint in the nonprofit Catholic apostolate world, which is where, where we met when I was working with Catholic Leadership Institute. Um, and then c- came to this role where I, I really just feel so blessed to be able to bring both of those together in a really unique situation. And so I have my business background and and I'm able to teach and I do teach um, some of our undergrad students. I teach more of our MBA students mm-hmm. here. Um, and then also with the work for the Center for Church Management that's specifically geared towards helping leaders in the church we can talk more about later. But, but one of the things that really drew this to me after spending 18 years working exclusively in, in service to the Catholic Church throughout mm-hmm. North America in the time at CLI was I, I did feel a sense of calling in myself to work in an environment that was not exclusively Catholic. Right. And so um, part of the draw here at Villanova, while our student body is you know, 65, 70% Catholic, um, it's not all, yes. and our faculty is not all Catholic. And so there was a desire to kind of, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? What does it mean to be a Catholic witness in an environment where not everyone thinks the same thing and, and feels the same way? So there was a really, there was a, a fun challenge with that in, in coming here. But I would say it, it's been so invigorating. Um, so I teach, you know, for MBAs, I teach team leadership and group dynamics, and I teach global business ethics are two of the primary courses I teach there. And to bring in, it, it's really refreshing. We, we are an Augustinian Catholic university. So the Augustinian friars founded our university 175 years ago and still lead the university. And Father Peter Donahue is our president. And a big part of Augustinian education, which we can share with our students, is this concept. The Augustinians say we search for truth together and everyone has a contribution to make. Wow. And to be able to bring into our class that that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to find the capital T truth in these situations and whatever business problems or issues we're facing. 
and that we all have a contribution to make to it. So whatever your perspective, whatever your point of view might be, we need to hear that so that as we hear all these different ones, we can ultimately come to clarity about what the truth is. And to be able to teach in a Catholic business school, it's just such a gift for me because to be able to bring in like, look, you, you could have gone to any other school, but you're here. So we're going to share what the catechism would say about this. We're going to share what Catholic social teaching would say about this issue. And that's a point of view that you get as a benefit of coming to this school as opposed to any other school that's out there. And I would tell you, Ron, it's been extremely well received. I mean, our undergraduate students love it because that's a big part of the reason they came here. But also our grad students, again, whatever faith tradition or no faith tradition they come from, they chose to come to a school that has a commitment to a certain set of core values and a belief system. Um, and, and there's an appreciation to see how that can be integrated into people's, in, in this case, their, their for-profit work or their corporate work, but that they can bring their whole self to the workplace. Not only can, but they must bring their whole self yeah. to the workplace as, as part of their gift to the world and to the companies that for which they work. So yeah, that's, that's yeah. a quick version of what it is, but it's been, it's been fantastic. It's 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 cool, and I know in a lot of the churches that I help work with, you know, they have Catholic schools, and it's not uncommon to have non-Catholics going to that school. Mm-hmm. And so you have parents who are intentionally making a decision to align with the values and the things that they're probably mm-hmm. going to learn in a Catholic context, and they're perfectly fine with that. And so it is. It must be a really because I'm guessing you didn't uh, deal with too many non-Catholic churches that. At CLI, right? No, no, none. None. (laughs) Exactly zero. (laughs) Not the mandate. And so Mm -hmm. that would be a shift. And and what a a blessing that would probably be. I I can see why you would enjoy that so much. It's a real challenge to to be in that space again and hold great conversations with different perspectives and backgrounds in a way that is focused on reason and and logic and and faith. And so... And pursuit of truth, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, we we do have, there's a crucifix in every classroom in this building and like, that's who we are. But I also think it's fun. I think it's, I think it's a real opportunity for us to teach our students that as we live in a more pluralistic, more diverse Mm -hmm. world, that you have gifts to bring to. And Mm -hmm. so that there's a way to not compromise who you are and what you believe and still work in a world where other people see things differently Mm -hmm. and can do that respectfully. But that doesn't mean you need to deny who you are. Mm. Or, or so, but yeah, that the whole idea of everyone's got a gift to make, and I do believe we as Catholics, and particularly as Catholic business leaders, have that gift to make. And, and I think as any, mm. whether you're Catholic or not, for all of our graduates, yeah. we really challenge them. Like you've got a call coming out of here. Part of being a Villanovan is to be a business leader for a better world mm-hmm. and to make a contribution to the common good, and and all those things are universal. Yes, um, but also you know, they're they're uniquely Catholic as well as being universal, which is the beauty of it. I think. It probably demystifies a lot of misunderstandings about what it means to be Catholic. Yes. It's like all of a sudden, like they accept me, they appreciate my thought and perspectives. We're pers- pursuing truth. Like, I yeah. don't know anybody that doesn't think truth is a good idea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be Catholic to do that. And so, I, I just yes. think that's a wonderful environment to form your. Because like, what what types of students are coming to business school? I guess I'm going to particularly focus on the, your your uh, your. MBA or uh, mm-hmm. program, like I'm guessing those are fairly ambitious people in terms of their pursuit to make a difference, to 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 excel in business, whether it's being a part of a corporation or starting something. What, what to describe to me, and I go, I know there's not one person, but would you say that there's a higher level of, of drive when people come to Yeah, no, no, and I do think there's, there absolutely is. I mean, they wouldn't pursue okay. higher education if they weren't looking to 
to grow and, and expand their impact and their influence mm -hmm. in the organizations for which they work. And right. so, um, but I do think, I think it's interesting. I've heard it described as and part of what we try and pursue is being a business school with, with a soul. And mm -hmm. so I would say that our students are competitive. And so we have a, we have a high pursuit of excellence here and people who are really committed to being the best they can be. Mm. They're competitive without being cutthroat. Yes. And so there's kind of this realization that me being at my best doesn't have to come at the expense of you. <laughs> and that we can actually yeah. all, all rise and all grow and all push each other to be our very best. And when we do that, then this world of ours is a better thing. So yeah, I would say that people that have great drive, um, but also people that, that want to make a difference. It's not yes. just about making a ton of money. That That's kind of a byproduct of doing yes. a job well done. Amen. Amen. What a wonderful environment. You know, years ago, working in the pharmaceutical industry, I always loved it because it was really healthy competition. Yes, we wanted to grow our business and market share mm -hmm. and everything else, but we all cared about each other and it wasn't cutthroat. It just made for a wonderful work environment. But I've also been in other mm -hmm. scenarios where it's like the co the competitor is the, the enemy. Same. And it's yep. like, yeah, let's crush them like a bug. It's like, yeah, I don't feel so good about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. I, I love to win as much as the next guy, but I don't want to hurt somebody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that's going to, I imagine the, that type of intentionality around teaching is going to help, probably forms your culture as a school, but it's also going to impact others in the culture that they might form later on in the organizations they work in. Is that fair? That, that's the hope. That's the hope. And, and there really yeah. is. We sometimes joke this thing called Nova Nation, but mm -hmm. but the the culture of this university and the culture of our alums is very very strong. We sometimes joke that it's cult like. I mean, people, <laughs> people really love their experience here and are really passionate about helping other Villanovans and helping the world, but helping other Villanovans. There's a small example yeah. of it, Ron, that's Please. actually been written up in a couple studies, but um, as a very small thing of the other centeredness that's both in our students but also imbued in our culture, mm. like. People don't walk through a door on this campus without turning around to see if they can hold it for the person behind them or the person coming in front of them. And it's not something that we teach explicitly, but anybody's on this campus for more than a couple of weeks just does it because that's the way. So it, it's little things like that that try and imbue in people. Mm. There are other humans around you and you need to pay attention to them. And so that, that other centeredness then I think gets played out into yeah, how we try and treat each other and how we try and respect each other and the kind of citizens we're trying to form mm. for the world once they leave here uh, and the ones that have that commitment to excellence, but also have that understanding that we're a part of yeah. this human family and, and we have responsibilities as a part of this human family and how we treat each other matters. Amen. You, you mentioned yeah. something I want to open up a little bit in terms of the mm. studies and research, because you guys are doing studies. You guys are taking a look at the business world and cultures and team and ethics and stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and so tell me a little bit about some of the research that's going on that 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 you're finding interesting and that's making a difference. And Yeah, I would say um, there's probably two sides on that. Okay. And so one, one is the generic business research that I think is relevant for church leaders and, and probably has more chance for adoption, perhaps, than is currently happening. So um, like in the whole ethics space, there's this movement towards not just profits as the bottom line, but there's been talk for a number of years of like a triple bottom line of people, planets, and the profits. Mm -hmm. And so kind of balancing all those. And so companies have responsibility. And so they have to take care of kind of what is their impact on the world, on the planet. They have to treat people right. Mm -hmm. And if they don't have an equitable workplace, they're not going to be successful long-term. 
and they have to make money. But I think it's a really healthy movement away from just the focus on making money and realizing there's other contributions that any organization, any corporation can make. Um, I actually just authored an article for the Priest magazine okay. on that very thing and kind of how churches can adopt that triple bottom line mentality to move from a focus on just staying viable, which I think a lot of churches are. It's like, just do I have enough money to pay my expenses? and move from parish viability to parish vitality and thinking about what's the contribution we're making to the community we serve. Um, so yes, we absolutely have to pay the bills and need to manage that sort of things, but how are we allocating our resources? How are we investing in ministry to best serve the people in our community and paying attention to, yes, our impact on the environment, but more our impact on the people in the community. Mm-hmm. So I think, that, I think that piece is a really healthy shift in business, but I also think it's one that can easily be embraced by more churches to kind of balance all three of those things Mm. in some pretty fascinating ways. I also think in the, um, in the literature on team leadership, there's a much greater appreciation of how crucial psychological safety is for individuals and teams to do their best work. There's a Google of all places tried to use their great analytical skills to figure out what makes for the best team. They did this thing called Project Aristotle. Okay. Um, and at the end of the day, they found it had nothing to do with the seniority of the people involved, had nothing to do with the diversity of the people involved, had nothing to do with the skill set or the level of time they begin. All the things they thought would make a difference didn't. The only thing that made a difference was that people felt psychologically safe on the team. And when they when there was a level of trust where they could throw out ideas and try things on and know that they wouldn't get attacked for it or wouldn't get punished for throwing out ideas, that they could try things and fail and still learn from it, those teams were the ones that really thrived. And where there wasn't psychological safety, then people went from a fear base and those teams didn't do what they're supposed to do. And so I think in a lot of our churches too, and I, I know, Ron, we've had this conversation over the years, but the importance of really high quality leadership teams where there is that that deep, deep trust in people, where there is that psychological safety, that's where people do their best work. Their best work. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very Christian approach. I think that's what Jesus did better than any other leader out there is created an atmosphere of psychological trust, of, of safety, of people to be their best selves. And as a result, have this great church that's continued for 2000 years. So those are examples yeah. of two things where I think there's great wisdom in what is happening in business research that's so applicable to any organization and particularly to our churches. Uh, A couple things, yeah. Yeah, I I often think that, you know, Jesus, if if he had the time, he would have been a good part-time professor at your university because (laughs) so often I hear people say, oh, you know, they used to say this to me all the time and I would never give in to it. Oh, Ron, you're that business guy that brings business principles to the church. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. Like, do you know how dysfunctional businesses can be? Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, yeah. Jesus, I, I'm the I'm the business guy who brings Jesus to the business, and yeah. and because Jesus gave so many amazing examples of what it means to lead well and to lay your life down for others to make them great, and to me, that's yes. great leadership. And, yes. and that's what I try to lean into as I work with pastors and their leadership teams. It's not about your mm-hmm. position. It's about your commitment and your willingness to do whatever it takes to make people great and to glorify Jesus. Like that's the funnest yes. life of all. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I would say two things on that round too. It is interesting because we, we, we have been criticized in, sometimes. And I think there can be a, a misperception to some people mm-hmm. that like, you just want us to run the church as a business. And 
particularly in the Center for Church Management, that side sure. of our work, which is just geared towards church leaders, towards pastors, towards lay leaders in the church. Um, and our founder, Chuck Zeck, when he started this back in 2004, he was always really clear, like, look, the church is not a business, but it is an organization. Yes. And as leaders of that organization, we have responsibility to steward its resources in a way that is worthy of the gospel. And so we kind of say, yeah, you don't exist in order to have a good strategy or to have a good financial plan or to have good human resources. That's not why the church exists to share the good news of Jesus Christ. But when those things are done poorly, when the finances are not managed well, when people are not treated well, when there's no game plan for the future, that actually in our, our experience can serve as an inhibitor or can block the transmission of the gospel. Amen. So people will look at that and say, you guys don't have your house in order. Why am I going to listen to the message you're talking about when you're so dysfunctional? But on the flip side, when they're done well, and so when the finances are managed away and kind of the resources are allocated and say, we're investing in these things because these are our priorities mm -hmm. as a faith community, and people can look at that and say, okay, yeah, they put their money where their mouth is. Or when they see the way they treat their people, they have good human resources policies, yes. they develop and grow talent well, um, or they have a good strategy and plan for how they're going to impact the community. When those things are done well, they actually amplify the gospel and can be an aid to its proclamation as to its transmission. So, yeah, it's not a business, but it can learn some things yes. that can help the church fulfill her mission hmm. more effectively. And well, I think that's yeah. what we're trying to do there. That's why I think you're the perfect person to be doing what you're doing, because in, in the years that we've known each other, I know that you're so good at this management side, like to be a professor uh, in the practice of management, I think is so awesome. Hmm. But you've never prioritized that over the purpose. And so I just love that you've, you know, it's, you, you're so good at what you do because you want to have the biggest difference possible because you want to help movements and organizations and priests and bishops have the biggest possible impact. It was never an end unto itself. And so you in that role is, is really cool. Like I can well, I see why it's such that, but yeah. It is, I think that's key, though, is to make sure that it stays a means to the end. Mm. And we have to keep the primary end as, as the primary thing. And when we do that, the rest of the stuff. I mean, the other piece is interesting on that, too, Ron, from a church standpoint. Um, it's been fascinating. We, we did a study on um, when COVID first hit. So we, we did a study on the impact of COVID on collections. But in there also got some research on kind of how decisions were made at the diocesan level. And so there were two big decisions early in COVID in the United States. One was universal, one was specific in the United States. So one was a decision to suspend public masses mm -hmm. when COVID first hit in March of 2020. And so, um, and then the second one for the church in the United States, at least, was the decision for churches to apply for the payroll protection loans mm -hmm. from the government, which were a huge safety net to allow the church to continue her ministry. Um, and it was interesting because in looking at how those decisions were made, very few financial people, bassists and CFOs, very few of them were involved in the decision to suspend public mass. That was primarily the bishop, maybe the vicar general, um, maybe somebody from the priest council, but there were very few financial people involved in that decision, even though it has huge financial implications. Yes. Um, but then on the flip side, the decision to apply for the payroll protection plan loans, which is a huge decision. Big time. There were very few pastoral people involved in that. So generally the bishop and the CFO, but, you know, like the priests weren't consulted for it, the director of pastoral ministries, even though there's the old saying that with the king's coin comes the king. So like <laughs> there's big decisions about taking government money that should be thought through and discussed and um, wouldn't necessarily change the decision. But just that that false dichotomy between 
the financial, the business decisions and the pastoral spiritual decisions, Mm -hmm. that's a wall that we really continue to try and work to break down because we think that there should not be a distinction Mm. between the two, that the best financial and business decisions are going to be made in light of what our church teaches and what believes and the best pastoral and spiritual decisions will be informed by the practical implications of that. Mm -hmm. And so really trying to to bridge those two, (laughs) we we think is, is a key contribution to make. Um, And and I I don't know, I don't know where that wall first got built, but I don't think it Mm -hmm. serves, I don't think it serves the church at all. Boy, and and I see it a lot too in parishes that, you know, the finance council sometimes, and and I'm not saying all the time, but sometimes can pride themselves on their lack of spirituality. It's like, no, the religious stuff we're going to leave to the priests and the other people. We're all about, you know, fast tax, you know, or get down to the mm-hmm. bottom line. Mm-hmm. It's like, hold on a minute. Like, what are you talking about? Are you a baptized Catholic or not? And if you mm-hmm. are, wake up. Like, you know, you're called to be just as faith-filled and on fire with the love of Christ as somebody who's running the prayer group. And so for the love yeah. of Pete, don't excuse yourself from that. Like, that that would mm-hmm. actually be a terrible fit for the finance council, in my opinion. It's yeah. like you, that's a spiritual immaturity that doesn't help in making key decisions that are going to drive the future and the impact of the movement of your parish and your community. Like that's mm-hmm. the last thing you want is. is well, the, I think I think it's a it's a bit of um, illiteracy on both sides too, Ron, yes. that we tried to oh, break down. And so there's like the illiteracy and there's the cultural piece. So. Yes, mm-hmm. culturally, we've allowed that. Like, you guys take care of the money. I remember I had a pastor, <laughs> one of my pastors many, many years ago, who was, uh, when I first joined the parish, and he knew some of the work that I did, mm-hmm. but he, he had a great expression. He's like, yeah, I, I appreciate what you do. He said, do me a favor. He said, why don't we make a deal while, while you're a parishioner here? He's like, you know, you help me manage the things and make sure we can pay the bills and all, and I'll help you get to heaven. And so, oh, how's that sound like as a little trade-off? I'm like, oh, that's a great deal. But in, in a way, it's kind of also a misnomer too. Like, so all of it should be about helping us get to heaven. Amen. And so don't let the money people or the finance people or the business people, you guys go over here and you take care of the business stuff, mm-hmm. and then we'll take care of the spiritual stuff over here. I, I think we do have to stop that. It doesn't serve anybody. But I think, I think there is a translation mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. So... A lot of our people who are formed theologically and spiritually and are spiritually mature don't understand business language. Right. And so sometimes business people can use that as a as a weapon to make them feel less than or inferior when it comes to making business decisions. And when you say but business language, yeah. But mm-hmm. when you say business language, what are you referring to? You're talking about spreadsheets, financial documents. What do you mean by business language? Yeah. So the financials are probably the most common one. Okay. So yeah, to take a look at a balance sheet, to take a look at a mm. income and expense statement. Um, for many people, that's just a sheet full of numbers, and they don't understand what the things are, what the implications right. of them are. Love it. But people, business people, can just naturally take a look at things and start talking about, you know, the cash flow burn rate, or talk about mm-hmm. the whatever it might be, different ratios. And people who have not been trained in that then feel lost and aren't following the conversation. Right. And so I don't know that's necessarily intentional, but then the same thing happens on the flip side, the business people who have mm-hmm. not been formed in the language of the church and then church leaders will start using language about deeper theological or spiritual ideas mm-hmm. and the business people can be lost. So both sides can use their yes. language and the other person's lack of literacy as a weapon 
that I do think helps build up these walls and doesn't help build up the kingdom. So I, I think the role of being a translator and help people see how these two are really describing similar phenomenon yeah. is a huge opportunity for the sake of the work we're all trying to do. Oh, that's so cool. And so how's, how's Villanova's School of Business, how are you guys trying to address that? And what types of things are you doing that you feel is, is making a difference? Yeah, so I think in, in service to church leaders, that's probably the biggest place. Um, and so, you know, we, we are we're an educational institution, so we have <laughs> we have educational programs. We talk about in the Center for Church Management, you know, we, we actually have a master's in the science of church management, which is like an MBA for people that work for churches. So awesome. we have lots of lots of pastors, lots of business managers, lots of pastoral leaders, whether they're the DRE or the youth minister or the music minister, but they want to have more um more of an impact on the parish or diocese they serve. So they come get this degree and it covers a lot of the same courses that you would cover in a typical MBA program, mm -hmm. but it's all geared towards parish and diocese and life. So all the case studies, while you'll cover the principles of human resources, you'll do it in a parish situation. While you take a look at organizational management and culture and get the best theory, you'll apply it to your a parish or church or yes. apostolate. And so all the coursework there. So that's kind of the the most significant and it's a two-year online degree ron so we have students literally from around the world that participate in it so i had a class last semester i had one student who was a priest in rwanda logging on at 2 a.m in the morning wow. and had another student who was the business manager in in north pole alaska <laughs> logging in at two o'clock in the afternoon and <laughs> but they were able to take class together through the benefit of a virtual online learning <laughs> that's um, crazy so so yeah, so that, that's our primary one. But then yeah. we also offer a number of, um, for people that aren't ready for or, or in need of a full 30 credit master's degree, mm -hmm. um, we have a number of non-credit certificate programs. So we have a, a 12 module, 12 webinar certificate in church management for anybody in, in any leadership role in the church. We have one for leaders of Catholic schools. And uh, we actually host each summer, we host a group of young clergy. So guys were either in the third or fourth year of theology or the first five years after ordination come together for a week-long intensive program, a residency program. Um, and thanks to the Lilly Endowment, we received a significant grant from them. They can come to that program at no cost. So it covers their travel and covers their expenses for it. And so it's a great chance to give them kind of how do you do the fundamentals of strategy and and finances and hr and do it all through the lens of catholic social teaching and all through the lens of of mission so yeah those wow. are the primary things and then, and then we sponsor research is the other thing that we do so some of the right. things we talk about those studies the um uh, it's just so grateful to the lily foundation boy they, they've been generous uh, you yes, know, there's not a great. lot of secular companies that will get behind religious support and they certainly mm -hmm. do so that is just so beautiful love that um so a couple of things i that's just so exciting it's <laughs> like oh wait a minute <laughs> so the the church management course that you guys have so if i'm a pastor listening to this am i thinking to myself okay should i go is that one more thing i'm going to take on yes or no and or can i send somebody else who's a key leader like who can go to that? And if I'm a pastor specifically, um, who might, what, what, what should I be thinking or what could I be thinking in terms of options and commitment and outcomes? Yeah, so, so, so for a pastor, I mean, 
for the master's program, there are some priests who want that. Sure. And to, for who that yep. level of education is helpful for them. So we probably have 20, 25% of our students every year are our clergy who are pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that fits for you and that's what you're looking for, it's a great program and it works. And so um, I, I think more so for pastors, if they do not have a base fluency in some of these management issues, I think the certificate program, either the one that's the 12 webinars, or if they're a newer pastor, the, the residency, if they can afford the week to come do that, the time to come do that. Mm. I think either one of those would be give a nice, healthy grounding in it. So the outcomes um, of those, if I'm hearing you correctly, and again, this gets me really excited because it's just so practical and it's uh, very doable. I've coached priests who have done the master's programs yeah. and what an impact it has. And it makes a coaching a joy. I have no bishops who have masters in business. And mm-hmm. again, they have a whole different perspective. So I absolutely see the value in that. And yet I've also been with pastors who in, in the finance meeting, as soon as the spreadsheet comes out, their eyes roll in the back of their head. And with earnestness, they do everything they can to try to understand it. And they're completely lost. And yeah. so not helpful. I love what you said about, about how, how both groups, you know, the, the, the pastoral people and, and, and the mm-hmm. finance people, they can stay in their own area and they can be illiterate in both of those things. And the goal is what if we weren't illiterate? doesn't mean yeah. we have to be excellent at it, but it'd be nice to be able to speak the language. And so it sounds to me like that church management 12-week seminar and that one-week intensive for young priests would be a great starting block so that you'd finish that. I'm guessing I would leave that course or that experience and go, you know what, I actually get it. I understand the fundamentals and now I can function in that meeting without looking like, (laughs) you know, they have- Yeah, no, no, I think it does. I think it gives, they're both courses that are excellent for the core literacy that you would need. Mm. And and we'll give you enough to know kind of the questions you should be asking and some of the basic stuff that you should understand. So yeah, we, we think they're great intros and they're also great for any any church leader, not just yeah. ordained ones. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the ones that want to go further, I, I think the masters is not for everybody, but for the ones that really want to take those on. And I think the other thing too, I just mentioned the masters, which is kind of cool. Um, and I think the masters long-term run, my own sense of it is like the parishes that I see that are really thriving mm-hmm. um, tend to have, and again, this is anecdotal. This is like a study I'd love to do someday. Yes but they, they have a pastor who has a zeal for souls and that pastor usually has a right-hand person who's helping them run the shop Amen. and kind of like a COO type mm-hmm. who also has a zeal for souls, but has the competency to do all those things. Yes. So I, I see the 80% of our students who are lay students in the master's program mm-hmm. as kind of the ones who can be that for parishes and for diocese and whatever their particular pastoral expertise is, but they can take care of making sure that the operations of that parish are done at a really high level, an exceptional level, and a level worthy of the gospel. So yeah. that's kind of what I see long-term. So again, yeah. not to exclude anybody, but just kind of where yeah. it probably plays out, given all the things going on, the trends in the church yeah. longer term. I love that. I, I One of the churches or diocese that I coach, they're a finance person is equally passionate about the mission of the diocese yeah. and the souls and the people and being a team player. And yes, he's also really competent and good in the area of finance and business management, but he is no less committed and no less of a team member in every other area. And what I love about what I'm seeing there is that Bishop, 
is more than happy to send them to to events mm -hmm. and activities that are going to grow them on both sides of that equation yeah. and i and so the commitment or sorry the the quality of contribution he brings to conversations and decisions is outstanding and yeah. so it's like and that's what you're talking about is it's just so well, fun. that's the thing too yeah and it, it, like the coursework is not just the finance and hr and strategy but they also take a course in like church history so ecclesiology and christology and they get a course in canon and civil law so it's always kind of bringing the integration and again trying to increase the fluency of people in both the language of the church and the language of business and i think that's I think that's part of the reason it's been so helpful for so many people mm. and then they can uh, go for and help their churches yeah more effectively i love that and so when you see the people that are coming through the business school it's just i just want to pull back a little bit um mm -hmm. that are coming through the business school what 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 are they doing post post uh post degree like are they you know do you have an area that's dedicated to finance do you have an area that's like what where are they going what are they doing yeah, so our, our general students coming out, um, our biggest pool of students are our finance majors. Gotcha. Who go out and become investment bankers or venture capitalists mm -hmm. or, or other things. So we, we produce a ton of those uh, for the world. Um, we also have a huge accounting program here. Mm -hmm. So a ton of CPAs and most of the big four accounting firms are going to have a lot of Villanova alums mm -hmm. in there. Um, and then a handful of other things. The other area that's been a growing area in business that we're actually intrigued to see how this will continue to impact the church, but is a whole area of data analytics. And so Villanova was kind of one of the early adopters in that, but that's having an impact on everything um, and how that's leading into AI and all sorts of other areas, which again, I think it's really important to have people form with a Catholic worldview in those spaces because there's all sorts of crazy ethical questions <laughs> that are coming yeah. up with how we use people's data and how we use people's information yes. that are going to require responsible people to help businesses and companies yeah. navigate. Um, so yeah, so they go into a, a lot of different fields and there's a, a bunch of entrepreneurial folks who uh, start up their own things and create their own businesses and right. and go and do some great stuff with that. Um, so yeah, it, it's a mix of things. I would say for our typical business school graduate, Obviously, our church management folks are working for churches. That's what they do. Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes to finance, you know, one of the conversations that we had a while back, and I thought was so cool. There's some great movies. Like when it comes to the AI stuff, I think about the movie. My, my kids said, "Dad, have you watched Social Dilemma on Netflix?" I said, "No." And I, I teach did. that. It's one of our courses. I do, teach that in our course. Do you really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, this course. It's fascinating. You know, it's mm -hmm. if, if any of our listeners haven't watched that yet, go. <laughs> Get your kids to watch mm -hmm. it too. It's an amazingly insightful movie that scares yes. the daylights out of uh, out yes. of you, but it's actually <laughs> happening in real time, and it's mm -hmm. a real life experiment that's uh, being lived out. But you know the whole fi finance, the, the world of finance. I know the big crash back was it two thousand and eight or mm -hmm. that uh, boy that was scary, and you know just building again Netflix movie on that too. The short, what was it called? The short, the big short, the big short, the big short. yeah. Crazy cool movie. I don't know. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, again, there's a lot of breakdowns ethically in mm -hmm. that world of finance going on without anybody knowing. And there's so much trust put in these institutions and these things that we often take for granted. And what mm -hmm. are you seeing now that 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 plagues the, the finance world or not even plagues, but that, that that's at risk, things that are, are happening that we need to keep an eye on and things that. Yeah. Well, so it's kind of funny. I mean, there's a thing called um, 
SPACs now as okay. a new instrument, um, special interest, I forget what they're called, but, but they're basically where people put money into a fund with the expectation that that fund will find and buy a company within 18 months. So okay. it's totally speculative investing. Um, and so, but it reminds me a lot of some of the tools in terms of the, the trances of mortgages and mortgage-backed securities from mm-hmm. 2008, where it's a very complex financial instrument that most people don't understand, yet they're pouring tons of money into it. So when I see things like that, that always kind of gives me pause. Right. And I've seen some SPACs do some great things. Right. <laughs> I've got a buddy who actually had his company acquired and they figured out, a great Catholic guy from, from UPenn who figured out how to capture the gas coming off landfills yes. and convert it into renewable energy. So they, they figured out the technology to do it and they were able to use the investment from this growth to they're now the largest producer of renewable energy and they capture the gas off of, the toxic gas off of landfills and convert it in hundreds of landfills across the so I mean these things can be used for good. Yes. But they also can be used as a pure tool for just what they used to call paper entrepreneurialism and and just Mm. money without any connection to products or to people. Mm. So I think whenever those things are happening, that's always a cause for concern. And I think that's the big piece that we try and remind our students of. Mm. It's like you can easily work in a spreadsheet and disconnect yourself from the people that are behind those numbers. But to always remember that behind every number, there's a person. And so what is the impact on people of these transactions that you're doing and, and always try and make sure that they're having some contribution towards the greater good. Yeah. Um, and if we can keep that in mind, then I think we can be protected, but it's, it's real easy. There's a lot of sophisticated tools out there that many people don't understand that really, really bright people are creating. Right. And that can be dangerous if they're not managed ethically and responsibly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And greed is a, as a, is a crazy motivator that allows us to that can take us down a really dark road and we've we've yes. certainly seen that multiple times and if it's happened in the past yep. it's probably going to happen in the future and, and so i love how you're forming people with that in mind that character in mind mm-hmm. as they're studying and dreaming and hoping and planning for their future and their families and everything else that hey you know money's not the only uh ingredient to your happiness and well-being for you and your family and your neighbors it's it's all these other components i hope that as people are listening to this i hope their parents that are listening to this that are going huh my my son my daughter is going to be going in that direction why not consider uh villanova as an option for for yeah there's this it's a great school there are a lot of great schools that are out there but yeah i I am there's a reason we send two of our children to this school, Ron. <laughs> so we, we know exactly what they're getting and are very pleased with it. It's been great for them as people and great for them from a faith standpoint too. So, Matt, it's so fun to watch you transition from CLI and all the great work that you did there. And they continue to do great work. They're actually. still doing Aren't they? Mm-hmm. I think Dan's going to come on the podcast too. I was in touch with him recently and we're going to connect. Oh, excellent. The, the bishops that I that I work with, a lot of them are working mm-hmm. with CLI. And I just always so excited mm-hmm. to hear that because they do such important work in it. Oh, I can't imagine they have a, they must be growing like crazy. The need for the mm-hmm. work they do, the insights and the expertise they have is through the roof. And so it's cool, but so yes. fun to see you, to, to be where you're at, doing what you're doing, impacting and influencing the people you're influencing. It just brings me great joy. You're a wonderful guy. I just think the world of you. 
No, thank you so much. No, it's, it's a great, great blessing, Ron. And fun to continue to work with people like you in this whole, the whole vineyard of the Lord. So very grateful for that as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you, everybody, for, for listening again today. Again, again, if you're on YouTube, hit the thumbs up. Uh, subscribe if you would. That would be a big help. It's fun to continue to grow these conversations in parishes and dioceses and all over the place. And so thank you for listening. Thank you for following and sharing. Matt, thanks again for being with us today. God bless you and the work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Ron. God bless you, too. Have a great day. I want to encourage you, as you lead this week, be faithful to God and generous to others. See you next time, and remember, if you're still breathing, you are powered for impact.